Never ever envy some of those New Testament saints that had the gift of knowledge or the gift of prophecy. Never envy them at all. We have something far, far greater. We got the whole Bible. So this is very important that we understand this. It's often said amongst uh, the, the tongues speakers that the speaking in tongues is an evidence of being saved. Maybe you've heard that, um, but that's very common. The speaking in tongues is an evidence of being saved. Well, as we look in the Bible, we find John the Baptist was saved and he never spoke in tongues. We find that um, Elizabeth uh, never spoke in tongues. Mary, the mother of our Lord, never spoke in tongues. Um, Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, never spoke in tongues, and yet they were saved. Now, some people say, well, now that was the Gospels. You have to remember that the Holy Spirit wasn't yet given. And so Acts chapter 2 and onwards, the Holy Spirit was given. All right, good. I'm glad you brought that up. Acts chapter 8, 37 to 39, you have the Ethiopian eunuch was saved. No tongues. Acts chapter 13, verses 48 and 52. Many Gentiles saved. No tongues. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. A large number of Jews and Gentiles were saved. No mention of tongues. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Timothy got saved. No mention of tongues. Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. Lydia got saved. No mention of tongues. Acts chapter 16, verses 33 to 34. The Philippian jailer got saved. No mention of tongues. Acts chapter 17, verse 4, verse 12, verse 34. Acts chapter 18, verse 8. Many others mention that they're saved. No mention of tongues whatsoever. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. No mention of tongues. John chapter 3.16, For God so loved the world, right? One of the greatest verses on getting saved. No mention of tongues whatsoever. There are those that say that the gift of tongues is an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, again, in Luke chapter 1 verse 15, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. No mention of tongues. Luke chapter 1 verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, no mention of tongues, never spoke in tongues. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, her husband Zacharias was filled with the Spirit, no mention of tongues. Listen, Luke chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus himself was filled with the Spirit, no mention of tongues whatsoever. Ah, but that was prior to the day of Pentecost. All right. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, no mention of tongues. Acts chapter 4.31, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. No mention of tongues. Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul says, it says there, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. No mention whatsoever of tongues. Acts chapter 13, verse 9, Paul again, filled with the Holy Spirit. No mention of tongues. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 19, tells us, tells all the Christians to be filled with the Spirit. There is no mention of tongues whatsoever. And so, how do we deal with people, well, with this saying that tongues is an evidence of salvation? No, it is not. It is not an evidence of salvation. How do we deal with 
this saying that tongues is an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. No, it is not. It is not an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's how we deal with this. Now, with your Bible open at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'd like to direct you to verse number 8. Verse number 8. Now, would you read that out loud with me, please? 1 Corinthians 13, 8, all together. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. As you know, the church at Corinth was a mess. It was a doctrinal mess. Doctrine determines behavior. It always has, it always will. Doctrine defines a person. It defines a church. It will define a person's behavior. It will define a church's behavior. The church at Corinth was messed up doctrinally and it was messed up in its behavior. The Apostle Paul wrote the whole book of 1 Corinthians to help straighten out the mess that was there at the church of Corinth. And this gift of this New Testament temporal gift of tongues, which was real in the New Testament, was totally misused and abused in the church of Corinth more than anywhere else. Paul took three chapters of the Word of God to deal with the subject of tongues. That's chapters 12, 13, and 14. Chapter 13 is often known as the love chapter because he begins here and he says, um, well, in verse 4, charity, or the idea of love in action, charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not itself. And he goes on with 16 pluses or, or descriptions of love from verse 4 down to verse number, uh, actually the beginning of verse 8, charity never faileth. That's the 16th one. Um, so yes, chapter 13 does deal with love. Why is Paul dealing with that? Because as I mentioned earlier, previous Wednesday messages, tongues were destroying the unity of the church of Corinth. And so Paul was dealing with unity. It's very important that the church experience unity. If the church is not at one, if the church does not have unity, the church may not have communion. Because communion can only be done in the context of a local church that's at one with one another and with the Lord. There needs to be unity. Chapter 11 dealt with the table of the Lord. But chapter 13 deals with three temporal spiritual gifts. And they're listed in verse 8 for you. You might want to underline them. There's prophecies, there's tongues, and there's knowledge. Three spiritual gifts. Paul picks out these three, and then he starts talking about them. He says the prophecies would fail. The word fail means not to succeed. That's what the word fail means. It means to let down. It means to not function. Maybe you've had a car that's behaved that way. And you get out the door, you hop in the seat of your car there, and you put the key in, and it just... Uh, does one of those. What's happened? Your car failed. <laughs> it has ceased to succeed. <laughs> then tongues, he said, would cease. The word cease means to stop, to come to an end, to go away. That's the idea. And then he says knowledge would vanish away. The word vanish means to disappear quickly. So it's not just vanish, it's vanish away. I mean, this one is gone, gone, gone. 
So he picks out these three temporal, New Testament spiritual gifts that certain people in the local church had. Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. And he says all three of them are going to come to an end. They're going to stop. Now, in Greek grammar, all of the verbs have what's called voice. You don't have to be a, a grammarian to understand this. It's actually not difficult at all. The verbs, a verb is an action word. I think we all know that, right? A verb is an action word. And in Greek, all of the verbs have what's called voice. Active, middle, and passive. And it has to do with the relationship between the verb and the subject. The verb and the subject. Now, this is not scary. It's not complicated. It's very easy. The active voice means that the subject does the action of the verb to someone else. Here's an example. I hit Bill. So I am the subject. Hit is the verb. And Bill is the recipient of the verb in this case. So I perform the action of the verb. That's called active voice. Where the subject does the action of the verb. I hit Bill. Okay? Now we said there's three voices. Active. What's the second one? Middle. Middle voice. And that's where the subject does the action to himself. I hit myself. Now that would be a pretty dumb thing to do. But uh, we actually do it all the time. You know, you can be doing something and it slips and, you, you know, oh, maybe with a knife in the kitchen and, oh, you cut yourself, right? How many have ever cut themselves with a knife? How many hit themselves with a hammer? Okay, I got one for you. How many have ever hit themselves in the face with the lower spray arm of a dishwasher? Am I the only one? I'll tell you about that story someday. But you see, in those cases... The subject does the action to himself. I hit myself. So that's middle voice. You following this so far? It's pretty simple. So the first one is active voice. The subject does the action of the verb to someone else. The middle voice, the subject does the action to himself. Now, that's active, middle. What's the third one? Passive. Passive. That's where the subject receives the action of the verb. He doesn't do it to himself. Someone else does it to him. So that would be, I get hit. I get hit. So the active is, I hit Bill. The passive, I guess he, he didn't like that, so he hits me. So I get hit. Or maybe we could say, Bill hits me. Something like that. Anyhow, here, I'm getting hit. I'm receiving the action. Okay? So it's very simple. So Greek verbs have... Three vo- one of three voices. And this is very important because it helps us to understand what the Bible is saying. Who is doing what? What's happening here? Otherwise, we can, we can mess it up here. Now, the verbs fail and vanish. So prophecy is going to fail. Knowledge is going to vanish. You see that in verse 8? The verbs fail and vanish are all in the passive voice. And what is the passive voice? The subject what? Receives the what? Action of the verb. And so prophecy is going to get hit. Knowledge is going to get hit. They're both going to receive the action of the verb. Something is going to 
act upon them. They're not going to do it themselves. They're not going to do it to someone. Prophecy and knowledge are going to be stopped. Something is going to happen that's going to stop prophecy and stop knowledge. Those were two temporal New Testament spiritual gifts. So, simply put, something was going to act upon prophecy and knowledge and make them stop. But, tongues. It says tongues would cease. Now the word cease, the Greek verb cease, is not in the active, it's not in the passive, it's in the middle. The middle voice. The middle voice. Tongues were going to make themselves quit. Tongues would make themselves quit. Now listen, the power of of understanding this really comes home in John chapter 10 when Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That word perish is a verb. It's in the middle voice. They shall never perish themselves. So many Christians over the years I've spoken to and they've been mixed up on the idea of security. And they say, oh, well, you know, I could lose my salvation. I could go off and get involved with crime and I'd lose my salvation. Well, that means you'd perish and go to hell, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's right. Well, that's not going to happen. Oh, no, 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 that can happen to me. I can, I, the, the devil can't perish me. God would never perish me, but I could perish myself. No, John chapter 10, Jesus promised they shall never perish and that's in the middle voice. No Christian, born again, man, woman or young person is able to destroy themselves out of God's hand. And, and now they, can, they no longer are saved, they're going to end up in hell. It will never happen. Oh, well, I happen to know someone, you know, and he used to go to church and sing the hymns and now he lives for that devil. Well, number one, you don't know what's going on inside his heart. It's possible that he may be a horribly backslidden Christian. That does happen, you know. Or, he was never saved in the first place. But a true, genuine, born-again person will always have that connection with the Lord. Always have that affinity. They'll always kind of hear the, the voice of the Holy Spirit after them saying, Come on, get back in touch with the Lord. Come on, let's get back in step with God. They'll always have that. You see, the unsaved, they're dead in sins and trespasses. And in order for a a Christian then to become unsaved, they would have to be dead, in which case they would have no desire for God, no hunger and thirst whatsoever for the things of God. And that doesn't happen. These people who uh, used to be close to the Lord and now they never go to church, you know, they never pray, that kind of thing. But yet they tell you, but I always believe in God, but I always, you know, know that He's there. I always try and pray to Him. Well, those are evidences of not an unsaved person, but a saved person. Anyhow, we won't get into that tonight. That's not our purpose. But we're looking at the middle voice. You see the power of knowing what the middle voice is all about. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, we're told that tongues are going to put the gun to its own head. That tongues are going to stop. They're going to do it to themselves. Well, let's review. Verse number 8 says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, okay, something is going to cause prophecy to stop. 
whether they be tongues, tongues will stop themselves all by themselves. And whether there be knowledge, something will act upon knowledge and cause it to stop. Okay. Well, first, what is it that caused prophecy and knowledge to stop? What was it that acted upon them? What was the force that came and knocked them down? What was it that took them out of the game? Verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Those are your two gifts, aren't they? Knowledge and prophecy, mentioned again in verse 9. So at that point in the writing, which was around 57 AD, Paul was writing 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 9. For right now, at this point, he said, we know in part and we prophesy in part. And so he's telling us that these two spiritual temporal gifts are only part of the whole truth of God. The prophecy and the knowledge are not the whole truth. It's not all there is. He says it's only a piece. And that's what they had. Now verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And so here, we're told that something is going to come, and that something is that which is perfect. And when that which is perfect comes, these two gifts, these two spiritual gifts, prophecy and knowledge, are going to stop. Now, so far, does that make sense? Are we good? Okay. Question is, what is this thing? What is this thing called that which is perfect? Some people think that it refers to Jesus. When Jesus comes, you see, then we won't need prophecy. We won't need knowledge. Well, that's what some people believe, but that's not what the Bible teaches. You say, how's that? Because that which is perfect is a neuter noun. It's not feminine. It's not masculine. It's neuter. Jesus is not feminine. He's not neuter. He's masculine. When that which is perfect is come is neuter. It can't refer to Jesus. Some people say, okay, okay, okay. It refers to the rapture. Eh? refers to the rapture when that which is perfect is come. You see, then, boy, life changes. We're going to be in heaven. We don't need knowledge. You know, these, these spiritual temporary gifts, we don't need them because, bang, we'll be in heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Because the very word perfect means complete through a process. A process that made it complete. It's like a factory. They start with a, a chunk of metal. The chunk of metal is cut into several. Those pieces are then formed. Uh, holes are punched in. Nuts and bolts are added. And out the other end comes a toaster or something. Well, the toaster became a toaster through a process, a manufacturing process. That which is perfect is something which is complete through a process. Heaven is not that way. Heaven is instantaneous. You know, listen, whether you get raptured or whether you physically die, you are instantly going to be with Jesus. There's no process in that. None whatsoever. There's only one thing which is neuter and which has come about to be perfect through a process, 
And that's the Word of God. And that's really the only thing that fits. The Word of God was finished around 95 A.D. That's when the Apostle John was finishing up the book of Revelation. When the church got started, remember all they had was the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, which is great. But they needed a whole lot more doctrine. And that's where the New Testament comes in, the 27 books of the New Testament. And it took upwards of 60 years, approximately, from when Jesus died to when the Apostle John died in order to give us those 27 books of the New Testament with all of the theological teaching. Folks, we have a complete canon of Scripture. We have a perfect Bible. They didn't have that at 50 AD, 57 AD, when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So that which is perfect is the Scriptures. Now, look in verse 11, and he illustrates it even more. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, what did we say earlier about prophecy and about knowledge? Were they going to stop themselves? Yes or no? No. Something else was going to stop them, right? That something is the Bible. Paul illustrates that by saying when he was a boy, he thought like a boy, he played like a boy, he spoke like a boy, he acted like a boy, a child. But as adulthood came on, one day he became an adult. He no longer was interested in boyish things. Little boys, they, they, they have their toys, right? They like to play, they're in their own little world. That's them. But when they become an adult, it's different. The, the onset of adulthood does away with the childhood. Does that make sense? When you're a little kid, you're interested in maybe these little plastic toys and things, and the girls may be interested in a little tea party and little dolls and things. But you see, when we become adults... We're not interested in spending our whole day with those things. We have other things we're interested in. We have adult things that get our interest. When we're children, we have childish interests. But as we grow, and we can't stop the growth, right? It happens to us. We always say about the children, ah, they grow up so fast. We always say that, don't we? But in God's timing, over a number of years, they do grow up. And they become adults. And the onset of adulthood changes the childhood. We're no longer children. We're adults. Same thing. When the Bible came, no more need for prophecy, no more need for knowledge. Those things were, quote, childish compared to the full Bible. Never ever envy some of those New Testament saints that had the gift of knowledge or the gift of prophecy. Never envy them at all. We have something far, far greater. We got the whole Bible. So this is very important that we understand this. Now, what about tongues? Remember in verse 8, he mentioned three temporal spiritual gifts. Prophecies, knowledge, tongues. I hope you can see 
where Paul answers now what's going to happen to prophecies and what's going to happen to knowledge. When the Bible gets fully written, they're gone. The Bible is going to take them out of the game. But tongues, tongues, he says, are going to quit themselves. They're going to put the gun to their own head. They, wow, well, when did that happen? How is it that tongues just stopped on their own? Remember, the first century temporal gift of tongues was a sign. It was a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. And we looked at that context, and it's to the Jews. Tongues were only spoken when there was Jews around. Tongues were only mentioned three times in the book of Acts. Acts covers 40 years of church history. The way some people today speak, you'd think that every page of the book of Acts is filled with tongues. It's not. It's only mentioned three times in 40 years of church history. And you examine those three times and you'll find out that Jews were always present. The gift of tongues was a sign gift, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Remember, we pointed out that there was three cities that were each written a book of the Bible, the New Testament. And tongues are, are mentioned in one of them. The spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. Remember what the chapters were? You remember? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What's the other one? Romans chapter what? 12. And what's the third one? Ephesians chapter 4. Those are the only three chapters that deal with spiritual gifts. And the only one where tongues is dealt with is in Corinthians. We looked deeper and we found that there were no Jews basically in Rome because uh, the emperor had kicked them all out. We saw that in Scripture. No mention of tongues in the uh, Romans chapter 12. Ephesus had one synagogue in it. Very, very few Jews in Ephesus. No mention of tongues in the spiritual gifts in chapter 4. Corinthians. Corinth was a huge city of maybe half a million people. Lots and lots and lots of Jews lived there. Lots of mention of tongues. You see how it fits together. So tongues, according to Paul here, and Paul wrote according to the moving of the Holy Spirit, Paul said tongues was going to stop itself. We know that tongues were a sign gift to the Jews, to the Jewish nation. In A.D. 70, does anyone know what happened to Israel? Stopped, didn't it? Rome came. I mean, there was wars going on between the Jews and the, and the Romans. Rome finally came with all of its uh, armaments and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, scattered the Jews. They ceased to be a nation, A.D. 70. They were no longer a nation. They were a dispersed people, a diaspora. They were dispersed around the then known world. As the explorers found the new world, then, you know, the Jews came uh, to North America as well. There's... Jews found everywhere around the world. They seem to be getting more and more concentrated in Israel, and we kind of like that for prophetic reasons, coming of the Lord and so on. But Israel ceased to be a nation at 70 AD. And here's the interesting thing. 
according to historical records that we have, there's no more mention of tongues after 70 AD. Tongues stopped. Why? Why did tongues stop at 70 AD? Because there's no more nation Israel. The tongues were a sign of coming judgment. Israel did not repent. Judgment came. No more need for the sign gift. It was gone. Out of all of the gifts mentioned, tongues was the only one that was for the non-believer. And it meant for the Jews. And so as you can see, the gift of tongues started and stopped in the first century. It didn't go beyond that. This modern day tongues is not the same as the tongues in the New Testament. Now, the modern day phenomena of, of tongues is very confusing to a lot of people. And it's widely practiced in Pentecostal and charismatic church groups. Um, although it has spread even further. Uh, tongues speakers, um, they have pushed a little further now. The tongues craze has opened the door for babbling in other languages, um, strange behavior, uncontrollable laughter, uh, being drunk in the spirit, shaking, crying out, casting out demons for everything you can possibly imagine, physical healings, which by the way, most of which never seem to permanently fix the, the problems, promises from God to make you rich, and extreme emotionalism. And what got it started? Tongues. Now, if you were to go to Wikipedia and look up Agnes Osman, you'd find this. I'm going to read for you. Agnes Osman was born in 1870 and became a student at Bethel Bible School in Kansas, where Mr. Charles Parham was the teacher. Osman was considered by many as the first to speak in tongues. Her experiences have sparked the modern Pentecostal holiness movement, which began in the early 1900s. Parham taught his students in line with the holiness movement, from which he introduced the concepts of divine healing and complete sanctification. We're not, we're not going to get into that tonight. We don't have time. Parham told his students to ponder over what the Bible verse, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, might mean and whether any evidence specifically related to this gift can be found. Agnes and the other students all agreed that if the Holy Spirit had descended upon an individual, then speaking in tongues would be present. That's what they figured. Well, it's got to be that way. They started with that, then they went to the Scripture to look for proof. Therefore, on New Year's Eve, Parham and his students planned to pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In 1901, after midnight of January 1st, Osman asked Parham to pray specifically so that she could be filled with the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands so that she might speak in tongues. Now here's what Agnes Osman wrote. Quote, she said, It was as if hands were laid upon my head that the Holy Spirit fell upon me and I began to speak in tongues, glorifying God. I, I talked several languages and it was clearly manifest when a new dialect was spoken. 
I had the added joy and glory my heart longed for and a depth of the presence of the Lord within that I had never known before. It was as if rivers of living water were proceeding from my innermost being. End of quote. Now, according to Agnes's fellow students, a halo surrounded both her face and head and she started speaking Chinese. In the modern day tongues circles, yeah, they'll babble in what they, they think and they'll have ecstatic utterances and what they call tongues, but you never see any halos around them. Isn't that interesting? I guess maybe only Agnes. Unless, of course, they just made that up. By 1909, 50,000 people claimed to be speaking in tongues. Now listen to this. This is right out of the Wikipedia. Later in her life, Agnes changed her views and admitted that she had been wrong to believe that all people would speak in tongues when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Not too many years ago, a little boy seemed to have died came back to life, and he said, I was in heaven. And they wrote a book about it. And they started making a movie about it. Well, the little boy's conscience got the better of him, and he finally admitted he made it all up. And that's something. There's a lot of crazy things happening today. And, you know, I'm just sorry to say that tongues is one of those. You know, back in the 70s, the rock and roll, rock and rollers tried to get into the churches. Well, they tried to get into the 60s with the hippie movement, the Jesus movement, you know, and the rock and roll music. They tried to get into churches, but the pastors back then were smart enough to say, no, you don't. You're not bringing that worldly music into our churches. Well, by the time the 70s came, some new pastors had taken over some of these churches and they opened the doors and they let the rockers in. That split the churches. I've known many people who've poured their life blood into churches that took a firm stand on the Word of God and preached the Gospel and supported missionaries only to have these churches come into the clutches of young pastors who opened the doors to the rock and roll music and it has split those churches like crazy. Tongues has also come in and split churches like crazy. It's sad, but it's true. Now, we're going to finish with just a wee bit of history. But um, some of the great early church writers of the 2nd and 3rd centuries wrote that they had heard that some people were speaking in tongues, but they themselves never spoke in tongues. From the 2nd century to the 1500s, there is no mention of tongues being spoken by any legitimate church group. Uh, in the second century, I say legitimate church group, in the second century there arose a religious cult called the Montanists. And what they did was they mixed truth and error. And they also spoke in tongues in their church services. People who left the Montanists were received back into the fellowship of real Bible-believing churches only after their salvation experience had been carefully examined. But in the 1500s, came the Reformation and the great preaching of salvation and it opened the eyes of religious people bound up in Roman Catholicism and many thousands of people were getting saved. 
And there is no mention of tongues during this tremendous revival in Europe in the 1500s. No mention. No one spoke in tongues. In the 1700s, a religious cult group called the Shakers Starts, sounds like a rock and roll group, doesn't it? But it was a religious group called the Shakers. It was started by a woman known as Mother Ann Lee. And she taught that people could attain perfect holiness by giving up sex. And she taught them to perform a shaky kind of dance from which they got the name Shakers. That's where the name came from. And she taught them to speak in tongues. But Mother Ann Lee was a cult figure and never taught the true way of salvation. The founder of the Mormons, Joseph Smith, taught his followers to speak in tongues. Muslims can not only speak in tongues, but they can preach moral sermons in tongues. Up in the northern part of Canada, the Inuit, whom some people refer to as the Eskimo, have a native pagan form of worship and they also Speak in tongues. Please don't think that tongues is some kind of phenomena limited to Christian churches only. Well, over these last several weeks, we've tried our best to present the truth of the Word of God and then look at history as well. People believe what they want to believe. And some people, even though presented with all this truth, Their answer would be, well, I don't care what you say. I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I believe. And they'll go right ahead and they'll speak in tongues. But you see, that's where the line in the sand is drawn. Baptists, historically, have always been believers in the Bible and the Bible only. Not the Bible plus the writings of the early church fathers. Not the Bible plus the writings of some modern person. Not the Bible, plus personal experiences and emotionalism. They believe that the Bible has said, the Bible and the Bible only. And that, I think, is the biblical position. Well, starting next week, God willing, we're going to start looking at the real gifts, the permanent gifts. And we're going to start to determine which one is mine. What has God given me? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.